everyone. Siobhan Chapman here. Welcome to the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Joining us for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable and Impact Investing Strategist for the Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office. We're also fortunate to have with us today from our partners at American Century, Sarah Hughes. Sarah serves as the head of ESG and Sustainable Investing for American Century. Amantia and Sarah, it's great to be with you both for this month's episode of the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, Amantia, reflecting on the past year that was, we experienced rate hikes implemented by global central banks that had a profound impact on the performance of both conventional and sustainable investment returns. As we enter 2023 with expectations of an eventual pause in rate hikes, what impact could this policy shift have on sustainable investments? It certainly 2022 has been... Um, quite an eventful year with a lot happening and a lot of volatility in markets. Um, as you note, uh, the, one of the things that we've all been watching as investors has been uh, central bank action around the world and here kind of with, with uh, the Fed in the U.S. in particular. Um, as we're looking towards the year ahead, we are um, expecting that we'll be in this higher rate environment, even though we do expect the Fed and other central banks to um, slow down their of, of rate hikes and eventually curtail it, um, the kind of the rates are expected to stay high at least for the majority of this year overall. So the question that um, investors and especially those focused on sustainability um, may be asking is what happens in this kind of high rate environment? Is there a risk that corporate spending or corporate investment in areas related to sustainability starts falling down? Um, and this matters both in terms of, uh, you know, sustainability outcomes perspective. Um, it's a question of whether we can continue over the next year to advance on innovation, R&D, on areas related to decarbonization, um, as one example. But it also matters from an investment perspective. Are those companies that are providing these products and services uh, going to be subject to headwinds due to this higher rate environment? So, Thinking about this question, um, our view is that despite these market headwinds to generally to further corporate investment and spending, we believe that capital expenditure will continue in some key areas. Um, some of these areas will will um, be uh, involve energy efficiency, for example, or green infrastructure, uh, green transportation. And so we expect that pockets of the market that are exposed to this longer-term um, resilient spending will will continue to be viewed. Um, favorably and maybe we'll be uh, kind of facing fewer uh, headwinds. Another way in which we're thinking about this is we're looking at um, the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, and uh, $369 billion that were earmarked within it to keep momentum up on, on this kind of these solutions to help tackle climate change and to tackle the question of energy independence in the year ahead. And in the meantime, we're, we're also looking at investments in other areas so that are maybe more socially focused. For example, healthcare, food security, which should also continue as, as we look to 2023. Thank you so much, Amantia. Now, Sarah, thank you again for joining us today. So while 2022 delivered headlines surrounding market volatility, it also delivered much in the way of development surrounding ESG regulation. How might the regulatory momentum evolve over the next year? So it's been a real uh, active year, to say the least, for uh, regulatory, both implementation and proposals in the world of ESG and sustainable investing. So it is important to acknowledge that this is actually a trend 
that has been going on since around 2018. We really saw an inflection point in the sustainable policy development from a global perspective there, and it has continued to hockey stick um, straight up since then. I think there's a number of different uh, reactions that are happening right now, and it's important to decipher that um, many of them have different end goals. So many people hear about the EU taxonomy and their Sustainable Fund Disclosure Regulation, otherwise known as SFDR. And recently, that's been grabbing headlines because you've seen some funds downgrade. But I think it's important to note about the sustainable, uh, the EU taxonomy is that EU, the EU is really trying to use policy to drive capital market outcomes. So they're trying to actively shift capital to what they deem as greener and more sustainable industries. What you've seen happen here in the U.S. Uh, with the proposals from the SEC has been much more focused on disclosure and protecting the consumer, ensuring that um, both companies as well as funds are doing what they are saying they're doing and disclosing those material risks. Particularly, we've seen them come out around uh, greenhouse gas emissions, although I would expect um, a future uh, disclosure proposals coming about human capital disclosure as well. But we've seen this happen all over the world. The FDA in the UK has come out with fund disclosure regulation. We've seen it in Japan. Australia just came out with new regulation last week. Brazil has come out with it. All in all, this is very favorable and causing, resulting in additional tailwinds. Also here, prior to this Thanksgiving in the U.S., we saw the U.S. Department of Labor come out and give its seal of assurance to being able to use ESG and retirement plans when it is um, financially material. They also really clarified that you could also use this in the uh, qualified default option as well. This is significant given the growing asset base in the 401k DC market but also in terms of participant numbers that it's opening up. I used to joke that uh, the policy and regulatory environment was like standing on sand, um, but however, these days it seems a little bit like standing on quicksand. But I am hopeful that in 2023, we'll see a lot more of this policy come into fruition. Um, then it's going to become a balancing act for managers. How are they going to balance the different regimes from a global perspective, but also balance the different regimes from a state perspective here in the U.S.? Amantia, the big question becomes, how might this impact investor and corporate focus on sustainability? What are some key areas that you will monitor to gauge this potential impact of risks and concerns? Overall, we expect both investors as well as corporates to continue this focus um, largely motivated by um, an increased understanding in the market that sustainability is financially material. So, in other words, uh, we expect them to continue this focus largely because of uh, looking for longer-term fin financial profitability, um, regardless of, of individual entities or institutions' focus on sustainability outcomes per se. Um, I, I love the kind of the 
the jokes that you made around on sand and quicksand, I think definitely things are, are moving quite quickly in the space. And taking the investor perspective, as the regulatory um, environment keeps shifting, one thing that will continue to be important in the medium term will be for investors to look past labels, to look past um, the kind of headlines with regards to sustainability or ESG and really focus and understand whether any individual investment strategy is meeting their very specific investment as well as sustainability objectives. Now, this is one thing that we're, that we're also watching, this evolution of the regulatory landscape. And I'd add two more things that we are closely watching as potential risks or opportunities, depending on how they turn out next year. Um, the first one is a risk that as we continue a focus on energy reliability, there, there may be a slowdown on the net zero uh, transition. This is certainly a risk that has been in much conversation this year. Um, we've seen this uh, as, as various governments around the world have at the same time amped up both of their investments in renewable energy, building that longer-term energy independence, and also have increased uh, their use of coal. Uh, as a source of energy, which, um, you know, as we know, coal is the, the most uh, CO2 emitting of, of energy sources we have available today. And so that does not help us towards these net zero goals. So this is something that we're watching in the year ahead. But look, overall, um, while this is a risk, we think that the longer term direction um, is very strongly pointing towards progress on these areas. We think, as, as I mentioned just earlier, that investment in areas like energy efficiency, like diversifying energy sources to include and expand more production capacity for renewables, um, as well as electrification, will continue to keep us generally directionally on track, at least for the longer term. Um, we're also seeing opportunities that are emerging in areas that are tangential to climate and net zero, like investment in the circular economy, for example, with Areas like plastic alternatives or resale models or even better waste management, uh, which uh, are certainly linked to the broader question of, of climate, but also allow for um, diversification in the way that investors are thinking about opportunities next year, which, which may help take this uh, holistic approach. So I said I had two, two risks, right? So the second one is um, also a risk that a continued focus on climate, what I'm describing just now, limits investor attention and investor capital on other environmental, social, and governance topics. Um, climate and, and associated investments really have dominated headlines and also have dominated capital commitments over this year in particular. And um, we expect them to remain a priority for next year. So the question is, will there be additional focus on more socially oriented areas? Um, we think that the answer there is possibly yes, and in part what may motivate continued investment and focus on areas like diversity and inclusion and, and companies that are doing better in those or investment in healthcare-related areas or, or food resilience, for example, maybe not only the longer-term investment pieces, but also a um, kind of as investors seek for other pockets of the markets where there's a focus on sustainability, but maybe there's less um, kind of crowding of capital as there may be now in, in, in some of the areas we've been describing so far, that could be could open up a different lens of thinking about opportunity that would also round us out on this uh, environmental and social and governance topic question. Let me just jump in here. I, I tend to agree. 
uh, the social issues are a large focus for us going into next year, although we think that um, carbon and the concept of biodiversity, which is continuing to um, gain steam and momentum as it should, as 55% of the world's GDP is dependent on it, we do think the pendulum has swung very far in a very much focused on uh, climate in terms of both a risk as well as an investment opportunity perspective. And some of the social areas uh, that have already been highlighted that we're continuing to look at, look at and really assess from both a risk or an opportunity perspective, uh, one area is focused on workers and the jobs. We're at a very interesting dichotomy here in the U.S. where you're starting to see uh, what are high-paying um, jobs in tech and financial services experience layoffs again. Uh, that's just, that is a bifurcated by what we're seeing in lower-wage, lower-paying jobs where it's still difficult to find workers. We truly believe those companies that treat their workers as assets instead of liabilities, both when they're dealing with um, laying off employees, unfortunately, it has from a business perspective, are also trying to attract and retain new talent are going to be long-term winners over time. So we're really focused on the worker. Another area we're really focused on that we don't think is getting the attention that it deserves from the market is cyber. Um, we're looking at it both from a risk as well as an opportunity perspective. Um, the company we invest in today is a tech company. And we need to be thinking about and they all need to be thinking about their cyber defense through that frame of mind. We also think there's massive opportunity and solutions, um, not only for cyber risk and cyber defense, but also when we think about other aspects. Uh, healthcare was brought up, the ability to use telehealth or connected devices um, and how we're seeing interactions between the two. So we're really um, optimistic, real much so from an opportunity perspective on some of the uh, social factors or the issues that traditionally fall under that app. So, Sarah, let's now turn to positioning. Over the next year, what kind of strategies should investors focus on when it comes to ESG engagement and participation? So if we could take a step back, I always like to define the definitions or the definitions as we see them at American Century. So we view sustainable investing as the umbrella term. And underneath them, you have a spectrum of uh, different ways of implementing. Over on the far left-hand side of the spectrum, it's really focused on maximizing risk-adjusted returns, and that is ESG integration. That's the systematic incorporation of ESG risks and opportunities throughout the portfolio life cycle. If you move over... Um, you go into screened or exclusion strategies, sometimes traditionally known as SRI. Then you move over and you're seeing uh, the concept of best in class, so those strategies that are trying to invest in companies that have best in class uh, sustainable objectives. What we're observing is not only best in class, but a subset of coming out of it called best in progress, really acknowledging the need for engagement over time then you have thematic opportunities, and all the way at the right-hand part of the spectrum, you have impact. And as you move over, we think about it as going from traditional financial alpha into what we call alpha plus. That is traditional alpha as well as environmental and social alpha. So your outcome 
um, you're looking for a dual outcome of your investment. From our perspective, we believe there's still going to be a strong focus on best-in-class. We do believe that the market is going to move away from just simple exclusionary strategies and have a real focus on engagement um, and being engaged in names rather than just simply excluding them from the universe. And we're starting to see some movement happen. We had recently commissioned a survey up in the Nordics. The Nordic asset owners are known historically for being a leader in the space, um, but they had often used exclusion lists and, tr- and tilted their portfolios towards best-in-class. Um, and what we've seen is they really dropped the majority of the, the exclusions uh, because what we have observed, but the market has also observed and come around to, is divestment really doesn't work. We've been in an environment where uh, there's been a massive, massive amounts of cheap liquidity. So when you're divesting from an asset, you essentially have been passing it on to another willing buyer that doesn't care about these long-term sustainability issues uh, that you do as well. So we continue to believe that we are going to see a massive focus on ESG engagement as well as a evolution of what is considered best-in-class to include a subset that's focused on best in progress, engaging with those companies, um, and that over time, these will lead to better outcomes for all, both traditional as well as from an Alpha Plus perspective. Well, speaking of engagement and participation, Amantia, what strategies can you offer for investors to focus on? Sure. Thanks. And and I, I Sarah, it's, it's interesting. A lot of what you're sharing about the, the way that you think about sustainable investing is very much where we had landed in our investment advice as well um, from from the UBS side. Um, and, and what I'll do is I'll just kind of add a little bit more color, just a couple more examples. And I'll start by saying, as we think about sustainable investing, it certainly is a key investment opportunity that we see for the decade ahead. These are long-term, resilient, and wealthy supported trends that are backed by uh, secular shifts in, in society. Now, while we think about the decade ahead, though, it's also important to think about the actual market environment in the year ahead, especially for those investors um, that are thinking about kind of the, the near term and their specific positioning as well. Um, what for us as CIO this means is um, the, the advice we're giving all investors is to think about adding defensives and exposure to uh, the value factor in their portfolio for the year ahead. Uh, we, we think that over the next year, to the extent that inflation um, still stays above 3%, at least in the U.S., um, that the value stocks will, will continue to outperform growth. Now, this sometimes is a little challenging for those investors focused on sustainability to implement because that may mean um, exposure to or above benchmark, <laughs> overexposure to traditional energy companies, which we think is actually going to be, and this is how it connects, Sarah, to, to kind of what you were saying. Um, I think that the way for investors to get this exposure to energy companies is through an active lens th- through through this uh, concept of engagement that you're describing. Um, I would agree that, in our view, uh, investing in energy is not necessarily inconsistent with sustainability objectives, as long as there's as there's a clear rationale uh, for investing in these companies that that is looking at how 
how specifically they're helping to move the needle towards the energy transition that we need over the longer term. Um, and there's a consistent approach to support this thesis that is really systematic and is accompanied by um, an explicit kind of active engagement with these companies to help really move them along um, this, this story. That's one way in which we're we're advising our clients to position for the next year. And now we're talking a lot about um, equities. Um, I'll just add that there are obviously other parts to the portfolio. Um, we think there's there's a chance to seek income opportunities over the next year. And um, when it comes to the fixed income side of the portfolio, we like uh, investment grade bonds. And and given slowing growth, we're really focusing on the more resilient um, issuers in that space. So for investors focused on sustainability, there's an opportunity to increase exposure to green, social, and sustainable bonds where the use of proceeds is going to finance specific activities related to the energy transition, related to people's well-being or better human capital management, and so forth. Now, even within this allocation, however, we think it's important for investors to consider the macro factors and, and therefore look specifically for those uh, green social or sustainable bonds that have shorter tenors, that are somewhat higher credit risk and, and that can help provide uh, this kind of income opportunity in portfolios. And my final note here is... Again, it's not just a, a stock and bond portfolio that we're looking into. What we learned this year was that putting capital to work in private markets for those investors for whom it is um, appropriate in their strategy um, has proven to be rewarding over the longer term. And within areas like private equity in particular, uh, we see a lot of opportunities to align um, investment objectives as well as actual impact objectives by looking to invest in climate technologies or in breakthrough healthcare solutions like medical devices, like genetic therapies that both offer potentially uh, an opportunity to drive positive change as well with longer term stability in portfolios that will become helpful in the year ahead. Sarah and Amantia, thank you both for spending some time with our listeners today on the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast and for sharing with us your perspective on the themes that we covered as we head into 2023. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here today. Of course. Thank you both. Again, today we have been joined by Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable and Impact Investing Strategist for the Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as Sarah Hughes, Head of ESG and Sustainable Investing for American Century. The latest edition of the monthly Sustainable Investing Perspectives is now available on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For clients of UBS, please reach out to your financial advisors if you would like to see a copy directly. Thank you. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.